premise. We're looking at positional truth in the book of Ephesians. We took a small excursus last time we were together. And uh, I started out with the premise that uh, I have the goal this year of having fruit, the fruit of the Spirit more evident in my life this year than last. And then we ask, how? How do we do that? And it takes us back to our study, which is to better learn about the ways of Paul in Christ Jesus, which he taught everywhere in the churches. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians 4. Okay, so then we come to the question, how? How? And uh, so we came to Galatians 5, and we read, let's go ahead and read together Galatians 5, 15 through 24. Five, ten verses. It says, But since ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk by the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the, lust, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you desire. So this is uh, an impediment to proper living. So what's going to hinder me from living out the fruit of the Spirit more this year than I did last year? The flesh. The flesh lusts against the Spirit. The Spirit lusts against the flesh. And that struggle between the two impedes me from accomplishing those things that I would desire out of a new nature. Okay. But there's a prescription for this. There's a prescription so that you don't have this struggle. If you're struggling, it means you have something you're not dealing with. Okay. You ought not to be living a life forever. Oh, new nature, bad nature, oh, constant struggle, constant struggle. That's not the normal Christian life. There are ways to rest in Christ, right? To be at ease. You're not at ease when there's a constant struggle. Sometimes you're resting up there, and then the, the, one of the enemies puts a thought in, and now there's a struggle. Okay? Then you have to deal with it so you can rest. Right? But since you be led of the Spirit, you are not under any quality of law. Now, the works of the flesh are made plain. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. Anger, anger, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And they that are of the character of the Christ, have crucified the flesh with the passions and lusts. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So last time, just to bring us back to uh, where we got to last time, uh, we went through and we talked about what is it to walk by the Spirit? Is there a certain walk that when somebody walks that way, you go, oh, that's by the Spirit. They got to, you know, you, uh, you can talk about different kind of walks. You, you say, boy, that person kind of walks kind of funny, right? And, you, you know, you, you can get on uh, uh, certain sites that say uh, people that go to certain stores and you see have somebody that, you know, walks funny or they can, they, they don't walk at all. They ride on a, a cart or uh, um, you, you go to the center of some big city and you see some gangbanger walking all funny, you know, and you're like, why are you walking that way? Oh, you're trying to keep your pants up. Um, <laughs> There's all these different walks. Is there a certain walk that is the spirit-led walk? Well, this isn't a physical walk. This word walk, as we saw, is how you order the details of your life. And how, how do you, what is, what is that defined as in Romans 8? It's what you set your mind to. If you set your mind to the things of the flesh, you're walking according to the flesh. You will produce things of the flesh. If you set your mind to the things of the Spirit, it will produce life and peace, things of the Spirit. So it comes down to the thinking. Walking is initiated by the thinking. By the thinking. 
So we saw that last time. Now, as we come down, we come down to this verse 21, and it's very interesting. Envying, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So there's more things that are unrighteousness unrighteous than what are listed in the works of the flesh. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Okay. Now some of us, we'd like to like play, kind of pick and choose which things are the ones that are going to put you in danger here. Right? Well, I'm not doing 90% of those. I'm good. Right? Well, that's not what it says, is it? But I'll take it a little bit further. This isn't saying do if you do it. Because if it is, then we have some problems with other scriptures. The Greek word for do is praso. And it's, and it's also in a tense where you're doing it habitually continually to the point where that is who you are that's your identity and as a christian it can never be your identity because the one who is in christ there is no condemnation so we have to harmonize this passage what does it mean that if you do such things you will not inherit the kingdom of god what does that mean okay do do we the first thing we have to ask is do we believe that god's word is infallible and has no errors. Do we believe that? Do we believe it's God's word? That it's one book written by many different authors with the author of the Holy Spirit that moved the holy men of God to write it? If we believe the Holy Spirit did that through many men, then there's a unity of thought. And if we see a discrepancy, it's in our minds, not in the ultimate author. Right? I want to show you some things. Turn to Romans 7. So what we have to accept here and understand is that Christians still can sin and do sin. But we don't want to. But as long as you're in this unglorified body, Christians can sin and do sin. But we don't have to sin. And we have to address these passages. Turn to Romans 7. And then understanding, if you have a good foundation, you don't misinterpret Galatians 5. So we got to read these inside of, in light of other passages. Romans 7. We'll come back and understand Galatians 5 in its context. Romans 7. And we read in verse 9. It says, for I, this is Paul speaking. For I was alive without law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. This is Paul speaking as a saved man. This statement cannot be said of an unsaved individual. And that's where the people that don't understand that have a completely wrong view of scripture in regard to the Christian life and sin and the Holy Spirit. This is a big error they have. They, 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 they can't, they're, they're like scandalized if Christians potentially could do wrong. But to understand it the way, you'd have to throw away most of your New Testament. This statement in verse 9 cannot be said of a saved individual. That's true. This is Paul after he got saved. Law came in and it says, I was alive without law. But law came back in and I. Very important to understand this. That shows you the potential. And notice what's in chapter 8, how to walk by the Spirit. And we're not, that's not totally our purpose to follow. The, it all fits a context. From here, turn to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. And we read in verse 15 of 1 Peter 4. Let's actually read from uh, verse 12. It says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fire t fiery temptations which is to uh, tempt you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings 
that when his glory shall be revealed, ye shall be glad also with exceeding joy. Since ye be reproached for the name of Christ, you're happy. For the spirit of glory, even of God, refreshes upon you. You ever take a minute to think about that, if you're reproached for the name of Christ? Be happy. Because when you're reproached and you're not the cause of it, they're reproaching you because of your Christianity or because of your character, that your Christ-likeness is coming out. And they reproach you and they attack you. They insult you. better read scripture to be to know that you're not going to feel like that on their part he speaking of the holy spirit is evil spoken of but on your part he is glorified can you remember somebody else that was blasphemed in regard to the holy spirit anybody i think it was christ remember the unforgivable sin he did miracles by the power of the spirit They, say, they said he did it by the spirit of Beelzebub. Right. They don't see Christ today. They see you. And they have a chance to see Christ through your life. And they attack. They attack. Right. They're getting a chance to possibly lead further to an explanation of the hope that we have. And they want to attribute the Christ-like life to something other than God. Right? So none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matter. Now why would you say that if Christians don't sin or if Christians can't sin? Why would this statement be here? Would that be a little confusing if it was impossible? I don't tell the two-year-old, hey, don't wake up today, jump up out of bed and go to work and earn the money so I can stay home. <laughs> you don't say that because it's impossible. A two-year-old is not going to get up, get out of bed, go to work and make a paycheck. It's impossible. Nobody's ever said that. Seriously. Some parents might have wished that. Nobody ever said it. Nobody said it in jest, right? Or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Is it possible for a Christian to do these things? Yeah. But it, it, this also has kind of a, a very merciful statement in the way this is stated. Let none of you suffer as a murderer. What do you mean suffer as a murderer? Because a Christian is not a murderer. You might murder somebody. You might be in an event. You might have a situation where you murder somebody. Maybe more than one person. I can't imagine you, but maybe. But your identity is not murderer. Your identity is not thief. It is not evildoer. It is not, bit, now we might look at it and go, that's a murderer! <laughs> we might look at it and go, that's an evildoer! And yet they might be a Christian. But in God's eyes, you're going to suffer as a murderer because you're not a murderer. You're a son of God. You're my son in Christ. That's the Father's view. So you can never suffer being a murderer. You can never suffer being, but you can suffer as a murderer in a similar way to, as to a murderer. Because you murdered. Because you were a busybody. Because you were a thief. See? In this world, the world doesn't go, oh, you're a son of God in Christ. Ah, you'd never do that again. No, they're going to punish you for your actions. Hopefully everybody can see the nuance. Everybody see the nuance? Turn over to 1 John. Christians can sin and do sin. 
You have to understand that if the New Testament is going to be any value to you as a Christian. Come here to verse 8. It says, If we say that we have no sin, and we deceive, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The Bible says we are sinners, we have sin natures, and we sin. And there's a whole bunch of information in the New Testament to tell you how to deal with that. If you do sin, and how to not sin. That's a big part of what positional truth is all about. If you deny the problem, how can you ever begin to solve it? If we confess our sins. Now remember, who wrote this? This was the Apostle John that wrote this. He's probably 90 plus years old at this point. I would say he's fairly mature as a Christian. He just gets done in the verses before talking about how he had Holy Spirit uh, Guidance and supernatural remembrance of the words of Christ and his experiences with Christ. The way he states it, it's like I can still see it. I can still hear it. The words are still ringing in my ears. Now, a lot of people would use that, and I think he does use that a little bit here, to validate what he's saying. You need to listen to me a little bit more than these fools that are you're listening to, that you're with. But in a very humble way, he says, I being John, 90-some years old, living the Christian life, I have sin that I have to confess. Okay? Is there somebody here that doesn't, that's better than John? Okay? Somebody here better than John? You better than Paul? Paul was a Christian. He... At a place where he sinned, right? Are you better than those that Peter was writing to? No. That's why we need to come to church. That's why we need to learn our Bibles. That's why we need to read our Bibles, understand it more, harmonize our minds with God's mind, know what he wants us to do in this life, right? Turn back. Now, we've dealt with verse passages that deal with Christians, but let's go back to some passages that talk about uh, some unsaved individuals. Turn to Romans 1. And this is dealing with unsaved people. It tells you here, read from Romans 1 16 it says for I am not ashamed of the gospel concerning Christ for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein is a quality of the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as is written the righteous shall live by faith for a quality of the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness so that's, this is kind of a premise. It's an introduction to this whole passage. There is a quality of the wrath of God that is just existing. Okay. Over, what's it say here? It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. It's going to go on in the context and it's going to say, there is a truth that's evident to all humanity. And it's a message that God doesn't need a human being with a mouth to spread the truth. Because it's in very, the very creation and what everybody can see. That there's a God that's all-powerful, that is everlasting, and has a power that is enough to hold this whole universe together. And every human being can see that. They see it and they know it. sin natures suppress it. 
That message is going out all the time. In the Old Testament, even I think it's in the Psalms, it talks about a message just going out all night and all day. It's going forth. Can you, does anybody ever get tired of something that's on all the time? You know, you ever have a, you know, somebody that wants to keep the TV on all the time or they want to have a radio on all the time, you know, and you're like, pretty soon, do you, do you zone it out? Do you like, I don't even hear that anymore, right? I don't even hear that anymore. That's what the unsaved do. They get, even though God is saying to them through creation, I created this, I did this, I'm the God of the universe. That's going forth all the time. And you think, how can anybody miss this? It's like, you know, lights and neon lights flashing constantly. How can you ignore this? Because it's on all the time. And they're so busy going like this about their lives. They're busy in the activities of their sin nature. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. Nope, 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 nope. I'm not taking any information in. Right? I'm busy carrying out my sin nature. That's how the world, uh, all unsaved humanity, ignored this message. Now, that message isn't enough to save. Okay? But they are without excuse. And that's what it says in this passage, if you continue on. Now, a lot of people, they get upset about the fact that the world is horrible. The world is so unrighteous. Where is God? If God exists, how can he allow this unrighteousness to go on? Okay. This passage tells you God isn't just sitting back. I mean, he's done it and he's intervened in history. And they're under judgment even now as he allows, he takes off restraints and allows unsaved humanity to delve deeper and deeper into their sin nature. And they're suffering the consequences just because of that. It's ongoing, even now. And we see that. And it's we see it in three words, or one word that's repeated three times. It says in verse 24, 26, and 28 that God gave them over because of what they did. They kept exchanging the truth of God into something else. They took the creator and they worshiped creation. They didn't use the natural use of what God made man and woman for, but they exchanged it for something else. They didn't even desire to retain God in their knowledge. They didn't deem it worthy. Okay. And we see that here. We come down here. Look in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. So God, at this point, they exchanged the creator for creation, and God gave them up. He gave them over. This is depravity getting worse. Okay? Through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into the lie, and worshipped and served the creature alongside of the creator, who is blessed forever. It is true. Verse 26. For this God, God gave them up unto passions of dishonor. And it goes on. And then down in verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a unapproved mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, semicolon, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, Deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Okay. That seems like a pretty, 
again, this is not a resume. Any, nobody's putting these things on their resume. Right? There's, I don't think there's any disagreement about that these are unsavory characteristics. Who knowing the judgment of God, did, how did they know? How did they know? God has exhibited in the past his judgment over these things. From for how many years? For how many years was there a cherub at the Garden of Eden before the Garden of Eden was destroyed? How many years? For a long time. There was a cherub keeping humanity out of the garden. So they couldn't eat of the tree and heal themselves because they were dying. A judgment on man's sin. And then what did God do next? The flood, right? Man exchanged God's purposes instead of the normal way. They went after something else. And what did God do? God judged the whole earth. Then God says, spread out, fill full the earth. What they do? They gather in the city, try to build the Tower of Babel. They exchange the creator and worship creation alongside of the creator. What did God do? He broke apart the land and divided the languages. Sodom and Gomorrah. We know what happened there. He sends a couple spirit beings. Wipes out a whole couple cities. Just took two of them. Just took two of them. And forever, we identify certain unsavory activities as the name of that city. It's known to this day. here to verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God that they who commit such things are worthy of death. Those who commit such things. And guess what the word commit is? It's our same word. Doing. Prasso. It's, it's, it's not just do once. It's who they are. It's their identity. It's their practice. The same word used over in Galatians 5. But it's not just those ones that are practicing it. They're worthy. It doesn't say they will die. It says they're worthy of death. Not only the do this, but have pleasure in them that do them. Those that consent. They're, they're deem it well along together with them. Now, with that said, what does this mean when it says to the Christian, if you practice these things, you're not inheriting the kingdom of God? What does that mean? Okay. I'm going to hopefully help you put this together. Because this is talking to Christians. So is it possible for Christian to do these things? And is it possible for Christians to not inherit the kingdom of God today? All right, turn to Romans. Romans 14. The first thing I'd like to try to help you to understand this is that when we say the kingdom of God, we immediately think be saved. I don't think that's what this is talking about because we're already saved as Christians. It's talking to Christians that are already in the kingdom of God. But there are aspects of the kingdom of God that can be inherited right now that are, you might not inherit right now, though you will be with Christ in the future. Okay? And there are things that you are leaving on the table today if you do these such things. All right. So Romans 14, look here. We read in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Kind of dovetails well with Galatians 5, doesn't it? What is, what's right after the verse that we're talking about? This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faith, self-control, right? And what is the kingdom of God right here? Peace and joy. First two things. 
right? If you're, basically what it's saying is, if you're living out the works of the flesh, you're not living the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, if you're living it out, you're in a sense inheriting the kingdom of God right now. Only the Christian can live out the fruit of the Spirit. But the Christian can also live out the works of the flesh. Now, with that said, turn to Ephesians 5. There's another aspect to this warning, I would say, which is the unsaved can only do one thing. They can only live out the works of the flesh because they only have a sin nature. They don't have a new nature from God like a Christian does. They're going to be judged because of that. The Christian will not be judged because of that because they have a different identity. Right? They can still act according to their former identity, but you're not judged according to your former identity. You're judged according to your present identity. You're in Christ. You can't be judged. You can't be condemned. So in Ephesians 5, you see this. Uh, as he exhorts Christians to live properly, we read in Ephesians 5, 1, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk by love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Man, what a precious verse, huh? Verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness Stop letting it be named even once among you as is fitting for saints. See, this is, when it says don't do these things, it's not a law. What is the appeal? The appeal is based on character. It's not fitting for a saint. You're better than that. You're better than that. You don't have to go into the gutter. You don't have to live in the gutter. The gutters are in the city. You live out on a nice estate in the country. You don't have to get down and dirty. Neither filthiness or foolish talking or jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this we know that no fornicator, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Christ and of God. So here we have the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God, and they have overlapping things. Okay. Let no man deceive you with empty words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. Be not therefore partakers with them. You see that? Don't share in their works. Don't let them deceive you with their words. They will get the wrath of God, the visible wrath of God, the, the real explosive anger of God. That's what they're going to get. realize that, right? Rapture could happen any moment from now. On all the unsaved, they're going to experience wrath in the tribulation. Lots of kinds of wrath. And it's not just the second half. Galatians, I'm sorry. Galatians chapter 5. Okay, here we are. Galatians chapter 5. So, tying this together a little bit. Up in verse 15, you have a situation where Christians are not living out the new nature. And Paul gives them a prescription. He says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit, and you won't fulfill these lusts of the flesh. It doesn't say you won't have them. It says you won't fulfill them. Why? Because you have two natures, and through the Spirit, 
the new nature and the flesh, the old nature, the sin nature, war with one another, right? And our trouble is how do we stop this struggle? How do you get the monkey off your back? It's by walking by the Spirit. We saw that's through setting our mind to things above over in Romans 8. Link that with Colossians 3. And the Spirit then leads you. We saw last week that how does he lead? He puts thoughts into your mind, like joy. He let, let joy take a lead when you fall into various kinds of temptation. That's how the Spirit leads. He produces these attitudes. You just got to take the lead. You got to let that lead take place in your life. By setting your mind on things above, the Spirit produces the attitude, and now you proceed. contrast to that, the fruit of the Spirit is love. All of these traits, how many traits do you have here? You got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine traits. Now, just, These same people that teach that you don't sin and you can't sin as a Christian, they teach that these are human graces that you can practice and just master. You can learn the definition just intellectually and then just focus on them and focus on them and focus on them and do work on it work at it work at it and be a better person and i'm here to tell you that's a lie you might be able to work on those things and learn intellectually and i think that's a good thing to learn intellectually what these traits are from the bible but apart from supernatural empowerment it's worthless it's worthless and eventually you'll just live out the same nature anyway because these are supernatural attitudes. We are not self-sacrificial. We are selfish. Love is self-sacrificial. Agape existed before the work of Christ, but it was we would selfishly sacrifice. That's just like today. What do they say? Anything worth having is worth working for, right? That's what people, that's the general wisdom of the world. And in general, that's, there's a lot of truth to that. And people will sacrifice a lot to improve their place in life. In a lot of ways, that's noteworthy. But when it comes to the things of God and love, agape, Christ redefined it. It's a new commandment. It's not a remaking of the old commandment. It is a completely new commandment. And the way he made it new was it was self-sacrificial. Him being the Messiah, him being the king, stooped down to serve. Right? It's self-sacrificial. Not one of us is naturally that way. Right? Not one of us. Joy. Joy is the appreciation of God's will in a moment, in the moment. In, and usually it's, it's not the sense of happiness that we usually attribute to joy. When we see this word in the Bible, in the New Testament especially, it's usually pointed to situations where you would not be happy. Somebody taking your goods. I'm not going to be happy about that. Everybody, when you, uh, your favorite day of the year is April 15th, right? Is that your favorite day? Anybody? Everybody, that's a, everybody has a holiday on that day, right? You go home and make a, make a cake for yourself? Is that what you do? No, we don't even like taking it when they have a right to our goods. Give the things to Caesar, those that are his, right? We not, might not like how much, but hey, you better do it out of love for other believers. According to Romans 13. But I can not like it, but I can do it knowing, hey, God, you're in control. You're over the powers that be. And even though I don't like it, I didn't vote for it. Hey, you're in control. Sign the check. Send it away. All right. 
that are good for other believers that I gather with, that you gather with. We do that. Another instance of joy being used and you're not happy is when you're tempted by one of your three spiritual enemies. It's not saying be happy about it. It's saying appreciate God's will in the circumstance. God wants you to flex that spiritual muscle. <laughs> he wants you to direct faith. He wants you to mature. He wants you to learn patience. All these different things. He wants you to show love for Christ. These are all things that are come about through allowing us to be tempted. He doesn't cause us to be tempted. He allows it. And we have peace. Peace. Philippians, what do you do when you're anxious? Philippians 4 to 6 it. That will fix it. <laughs> what is Philippians 4 6? The peace of God that passes it. No, that's a bad translation. Okay. The peace from God. You communicate to God in those distinct ways, worship, supplication, thanksgiving, you ask. And then the peace of God will cover over your mind and protect it and guard it in Christ Jesus. Again, coming back to positional truth. When you get your mind off of who you are in Christ and you start focusing on circumstances instead of the promises of God that you have because you're in Christ and God can work through you because you're in Christ, and the Spirit of God can empower you when you get your mind on things in Christ. Circumstance, focusing on circumstances and what's going on down here, you're going to get your mind off of things in Christ, and you're going to do something that you're not proud of. You're going to live out the sin nature. You're going to, for a moment in time, stop inheriting the things of the kingdom of God, which are what? Peace, joy, love. Are you that person that has created a system of habits of how to not inherit the kingdom of God in your life? We do that. We create habits in our life that impede us from inheriting the things that are, we can receive right now in regard to the kingdom of God. The fruit of the Spirit. Instead of learning how to not fulfill the lust of the flesh, we actually become practiced in fulfilling the lust of the flesh. You need to stop that in your mind. You need to stop that line of thinking that leads you down that path. And it's in your mind. It's in your mind. You need to walk by the Spirit. That's where you stop. It's a process that begins in the mind. God doesn't see you as unrighteous. He sees you as righteous. God sees you as a saint. But for you to fulfill the works of the flesh, you have to stop seeing yourself in Christ, righteous and holy, and you have to begin to think of yourself as down here, unrighteous and a sinner. See the difference? One's wrecking, recognizing possibilities and potential, and the other is focusing, right, on the negative. Go back here a couple more minutes. We, it's the, at the end of the fruit of the spirit. We could go through each one of these, and it's worthwhile. Um, but I want to get to the bottom here. Against such, there is no law. Now, there's two ways this can be understood. There's only one way that it really is. Um, I'm not completely settled on it. I've heard it taught both ways, and I, I, I don't think either one is contrary to the overall thing of Scripture. But it can only mean one thing. Right? Um, when it says, against such, there is no law, the against is a Greek preposition kata. And it means, it can mean against or down, the, the root, the, Rudimentary meaning of kata is down alongside of, okay? Which, if you focus on that, then you'd say, 
down alongside of and such, which is the fruit of the Spirit, down alongside of the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law kind of life can compare to it. That's one way of understanding this. Okay? A law life can never compare to a fruit of the Spirit life. Somebody that's trying to establish their own righteousness by negative rules, because why? Because they're always going to end up living out the sin nature, because Paul found in Romans 7 that negative law empowers the sin nature just like grace and the Holy Spirit empower the new nature. That goes back to Romans 7 and the laws of the inner mind in Christ. Right? The inner man, the law of the inner man and the law of God after the inward man over in Romans 7. The other way is the, the more traditional way that just says, Against such, there's no law. Which is, who's saying, you love too much? Who's saying, you have too much? You appreciate things. You need to get a little more negative when bad things happen to you. Stop having joy. Or, man, you're so at ease in the midst of horrible things. You need to stop that. You need to get it. You know. Is anybody saying that? Now, I've heard people blaspheme people that were living out the Christian life. You know, I've heard people that, you know, they're exhibiting grief because of somebody died in their family that was a Christian, but yet they're not like, overwhelming grief. And the unsaved go, man, they're in denial. They're like crazy or something. You know, well, that's just blasphemy. That's not it at all. They just have hope. So I think both of those interpretations of this passage are valid. Only one is true. Okay, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna arm wrestle if you say one way and I'm the other way or anything. Um, like I said, I'm not completely settled on which is absolutely it. Verse 24. And if I am settled, it doesn't mean I'm right. All right. Um, when the rapture happens, we'll all agree. Right. Or you'll find out that I'm right. No, just kidding. There it is. There's the truth. <laughs> but you're saying, at the same time, you're saying, you'll find out I'm right, right? Uh, I think the right view is to say, none of us know everything. And we all have blind spots. And we're all going to, when we see Christ, we're all going to be like him. Nobody's going to be like me. Verse 24, and they that are Christ. Now, um, the, the idea here, they that are Christ, the ones that are the character of Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its lusts. Since we live by the Spirit, let us also walk. Now, what you don't see here in the English, this word for walk is different than the word for walk up in verse 16. The word for walk up in verse 16 is the general walk, and it's specifically talking about setting your mind to things above, as we saw in Romans 8. But down here in Rome, that's, and that's when, that is the beginning of the process of living right, right? This is looking at the other end. You've crucified they that are the character of Christ, you've crucified the passions and with its lusts, right? So this is looking at the other end. You're living the Christian life. So it's saying, it's really the idea that, hey, once you're living right, it doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory. You've got you to continue to walk carefully each step. Because there are it's not a smooth road. Look out for the dangers. The normal Christian life is living out the fruit of the Spirit. The normal Christian life is not constant warfare. It's not constant being attacked by the sin nature. It's not constantly being... If you're like that, you're not living the normal Christian life. But you do got to walk carefully and pay attention. There are obstacles looking to trip you up. Okay. And that's the emphasis, I think, of that last verse. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk 
carefully by the Spirit. Let us walk each step. Is that also, uh, um, could you say it's parallel? I mean, uh, the same uh, living out eternal life? Um, I, I wouldn't say it's exactly equivalent, though it's included, because living out eternal life, you're already doing. Because that's what you have to do. You have to to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You have to be. That's living out eternal life. When you're when you're living out the fruit of the spirit, you're living out eternal life. But now, as you're doing that, walk each step. And are you going to continue to live eternal? Yes. Okay. So it's yes, it's living out eternal life. But it's 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 really a statement of being. It's a warning. It's saying. Hey, it's not, it doesn't all become hunky-dory. And that goes against what other people teach about this. They act like, you know, if you crucify the flesh, you, you never have to do it again. If you, um, if you confess your sin, you never have to do it again. It's like a one-time event. If, if you, they, that's how they treat it. And that's not what this says. This looks at the Christian life as a moment-to-moment -moment relationship with our Lord our Heavenly Father, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. What's that? Yeah. All right, let's close with a little prayer. Then there's another thing. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we just thank you uh, for the fact that you are inter interacting in our lives. And you haven't just saved us and left us to uh, figure this out on our own. You've given us your word. We can read it. We can understand it. and goodness to us. We ask that through taking in your word, we'd understand it better and that you would then glorify you.